Hi, welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. You are welcome, and you are happy. I mean, there's I really am. there's a there's a happiness in your voice. Well, okay, so this has been a long time coming for many reasons. <laughs> I, as many of you who have listened to this podcast for a while know, Alan Seppenwall, uh, television critic uh, and Yankee fan has been banned That's from right. this podcast for how long how long has the ban been in place when did the actual ban come down when did Goodell when did Roger Goodell who is the commissioner of the podcast right. of the podcast That's when right. did he rule that Alan was banned do you remember offhand yeah i well okay so he was initially banned the first time that he was on the Christmas, uh, right? Uh, that was right. That was, the initial infraction had nothing to do with the Yankees. That's the initial right. infraction is that we did a holiday draft. That's right. And the and the and the theme of the holiday draft was holiday movie. That's right. Characters that's and it was right. being done in in December and everybody understood the assignment. <laughs> that's as the right. Kids say. That's right. The the assignment was holiday movies, meaning ho- December, Christmas, Hanukkah holiday That's right. movies. That's right, yeah. And Alan snuck in through the back door and pulled some <laughs> sneaky stuff and drafted uh, Bill Murray's character from Groundhog Day. Yes. And Roger Goodell came down on him like a hammer and said, like, this is, you, you understood, that technically you didn't violate the letter of the law, but you violated the spirit of the law. That's right. Banned from the podcast. But interestingly, but but that was the initial ban. But if you will remember, overturned almost immediately because he did not break the letter of the law. That was that right. was the ruling. The ruling it was, was some it was some real New England Patriots kind of stuff. Like Goodell went in and he took the tape of the podcast and he he smashed it under his foot that's and right. threw it away before <laughs> before anybody could review it. And so so Seppenwall got away with one there. And he was but so he was, mad. But, so he was, but but basically what happened was like the league was put on notice that like this guy's shady. <laughs> this guy's super shady. Yes. And and like and then and so then Deflategate happens. So what was Deflategate? What was the second? <clears throat> well, the second one was also at a holiday podcast where right. we were drafting holiday. Well, wait a minute. He ended up taking. I remember him taking television shows. Right. Uh, when when yeah, it was <laughs> he took the Bugs Bunny. Well, the, uh, that, was, that was a different one. So, yes, he also... Oh, that's a different one? There have th- been three? Yes, because that was in a regular draft <laughs> where we were choosing sports movies and he chose a, the Bugs Bunny baseball. Baseball Calling thing. that a movie when it is not a movie. Uh, right. But again, slipped out because technically he, he was able to go... Like, he's... Look, the guy's got the best lawyers in the world. He's got the he best really lawyers in the world working for him. And he was able to technically get out of that one, too. <laughs> And then he came back and remember took a whole season of a television show to represent uh, a holiday movie. Like it was, I, I don't know, but but at well, he's here, Seppenwall. What what was it? You're shaking your head at us because you feel like you've got. We're getting the details wrong. What did you do? I'm just. I've been railroaded. I've been bamboozled. I've been hornswoggled. What happened was okay. in the most recent holiday draft. That's right. We were drafting um, holiday movies. Yes. And I was playing it straight. I was playing it by the by the letter and the spirit of the law. Yes. 
and Michael Shore, permanent guest host of the podcast, <laughs> objected to my attempting to play by the letter and spirit of the law. And he goaded me and goaded me and baited me until finally I had at all I could stands and I couldn't stands no more. And I drafted every holiday episode of the West. World. That's right. That's, That's right. right. That's, That's right. right. That's right. Yes. And, and that then was- at that. Then it was like a lifetime achievement award, right? Then Goodell was like, he it was like Goodell saved Robert Kraft once. He saved Robert Kraft twice. That he couldn't save no, him a third time. No, and he can't. And he was like, I'm sorry, this is it. You're banned for a year. And right? you knew for sure, Mike. You did bait him. Look, they, look, we knew we knew <laughs> that it was right that Alan Sepperwall be banned from the podcast. You knew that. And it, there, there may have been a light entrapment going on. Like oh a, my God. A, a, hint, a smidge of entrapment. But the point is, is that Sepinwall was... You should be ashamed of yourself, Michael. Sepinwall, Sepinwall was... Don't talk to me. Talk to Roger Goodell. Yes, he, exactly. So, so he was banned, and the, and the ruling at the time was he is banned until the Yankees are eliminated from the playoffs. That's right. right. That's right. And so, cut, j- jump forward. So Sepinwall has not been on the podcast since. We jump forward to, uh, to, the, to the wild card game in October... The uh, beloved and saintly uh, Boston Red Sox against the I'm, evil. I'm sorry, I'm sorry dark what forces. was that? The beloved and saintly Boston Red Sox playing the, the evil, di- diabolical New York Yankees in a one game playoff. The Red Sox uh, summon all of the forces of good and positivity in the universe. Right. They defeat the Yankees 6 to 2. And, uh, and here we are. Welcome back, Alan Sepamal. Your ban is lifted, and we've invited you on to talk about whatever you want to talk about. I mean, we can literally we can talk about anything. It's true. Anything that's Any, going on out there anything, in television. Yes, anything you, know. you would like to discuss. You're back on in full. You you have full privileges again, right? I mean, I would say full privileges. Full carte privileges. blanche. We can talk about anything you want to talk about. I would like to start, however, by talking about the New York Yankees for about 45 to 60 minutes. At and which point we're we, going to turn this at off. At which point after that, you can talk about whatever you want to talk about. But not uh, on here, because we won't. No, well, th- this will be over. But you can continue to talk about whatever you want to talk about after we're done with that first topic that I mentioned, the New York Yankees. So welcome. <laughs> welcome back. Congratulations on having your band lifted. Let's talk about the Yankees. I hate you both so much. <laughs> so much. You are so insufferable. Um, Mike, you have two teams mm. in like league championship series right now. Correct. Joe, your local team right now, they're up are they up two to nothing in the National League Championship series at the moment? My local team? Well, aren't aren't like isn't Atlanta uh, the that, closest I'm, major yeah, league team on, to you now? That's a stretch. I mean, you can you go after Mike with his teams. No, no, Mike, Mike is by far the worst. Team. No, no, that's not. I'm just okay. I'm just classic, saying. It's, classic Seppenwall, by the way, trying to pin the Atlanta Braves on you because of like general proximity. This yes. is a classic Seppenwall move. Oh, you live in Charlotte. You must be, which is a, only you, four hours away from Atlanta. You must be a Braves fan. <laughs> yep. Classic Seppenwall. Unbelievable. Classic, Alan. You guys. You know what, Alan? I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this in your in your behalf because I think this is true. Um, I think you hated this Yankee season. I think the season was really – you did not like any part of this season, did you? I mean, I liked when they won like 13 games in a row or whatever it was. So the problem with the season is they basically – they were either – the Murderer's Row 1927 Yankees, or they were the Stump Merrill Yankees right. and sort of nothing in between. They either looked like the greatest team to ever lace up cleats or they were a clown show. And I didn't understand necessarily how it could go from one to the other 
from each game to the next. It was really baffling. It's interesting. Mike has a very powerful theory about why the Yankees looked really, really good at times and looked really, really bad at times. And it is directly related to the fact that when they looked really, really good, they were playing terrible teams. That's basically the Mike theory. Is that right? I mean, I I believe that's your theory. Well, there's two parts of the theory, and they're both very scientific. Um, Yes. They both involve a lot of advanced metrics and uh, research research and analysis. The first is that that 13-game or 14-game, whatever it was, winning streak, it started with games against the Marlins. They played the Orioles. I think they played the uh, what are now officially the Guardians. Uh, <laughs> That's right. They, so they, they, they had that run. It was right after the trade, right before and then right after the trade deadline. So they pick up Rizzo and Gallo, and they go on this crazy run. And it, all of those teams were terrible. And they just they got hot at the right time. And Rizzo hit a couple home runs early, and Gallo hit one or two here and there in between his uh, is like Five 90, 90% strikeout, strikeout yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's a, a second, I think, even more advanced uh, analysis and series of metrics that I've analyzed, and it has to do with the Yankees' ability to summon uh, black magic and the dark arts <laughs> when when needed. And they, at various times this year, did that. They called upon the forces of Satan, and uh, and 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 I would imagine held a number of sort of. Uh, sort of ancient either druidic or celtic ceremonies where they slaughtered goats and drank the blood of the goats you are such a phony michael oh my god your team is like a couple of wins away from the world series they have one world series like they've dominated the yankees in the 21st century all of your angst about black yankee magic is such nonsense <laughs> such a relic of the before like we talk about the before times before covid this is the before the before times like all of this stuff you're complaining about has ceased to exist for so long and you are still like using it as a cudgel <laughs> to beat me with and i do not appreciate it because I'm, you have become all that you hate and you just don't want to admit it i'm only reporting what i've read on fan graphs <laughs> and uh, and baseball prospectus yes. this is just this is high this is high level this advanced is some, some sabermetric of the, analysis yeah, yeah some uh-huh, of the top uh-huh. thinkers okay. in the game this <laughs> right. is exactly you know, Alan, I mean, this is uh, this is what we're doing to you is so unfair because disagree. <laughs> this really, really, no, this no, really it's, stinks, guys. It's so un- this is total BS. It's so unfair because your teams are terrible. Like they're just every I mean, the Yankees are like, this is it. And, and that team is, I think, in 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 complete seriousness, uh, in a lot of trouble. And yep. Uh, the Giants are are horrendous, and well, not horrendous. Yeah. They're a little better than horrendous right now. No, the, they're horrendous. The, did you see the game yesterday, Joe? They're horrendous. I did not see the game yesterday because, of course, I'm not going to watch the Giants play because they're horrendous. <laughs> and yeah. the Knicks, that's not. I mean, it's got better, and it's not really got better. So they were the four seed. They were the four seed last year in the that, East, that, where nobody. I mean, the, like the who? The Knicks are the only hope for like New York sports fandom. That's how bad things wow, have gotten right now. That is bad. I mean, I think they'll be pretty good this year, and they'll be fun. Yeah, but they're I mean, fun. They're definitely not like winning a title. No, but so. they are fun. I mean, at least they're that. They're fun. The Yankees are kind of not fun, even when they're playing well. No. They're really not kind of nope. fun at this moment, are they? No, no, they're not. It's. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot of three true outcomes baseball, which you know you guys have talked about is just not aesthetically as interesting, you know, as when the ball is put in play, and it's just sort of like they're not good defensively. They're not great at the fundamentals, so it's either. Stanton and Judge are hitting the ball out of the ballpark and their bullpen is throwing, you know, 99 miles an hour or they're not doing those things and they lose. It's, you know, it's not exciting. 
You know. Um, uh, listen, Alan has levied some pretty serious accusations against me here. <laughs> and I, I'd like to address them. Please do. Oh, my God. Please right. do. Please address them. All right. These accusations are 100% accurate. <laughs> I, everything I'm saying is unfair. It's uh, it's it's deeply uncharming and unpleasant of me to be making these accusations. Yes. The the Red Sox have beaten the Yankees in eight out of the last nine playoff games that they've played against each Correct. other. The Red Sox yeah. have won four World Series titles since 2004. The Yankees have won one. Uh, the Red Sox are currently even in their ALCS matchup against the Astros and the Yankees are playing golf and and getting COVID or whatever it is that they do in the offseason. And uh, it is absurd of me. It is deeply absurd and unpleasant and frankly unbecoming <laughs> of me to continue to berate Yankees fans yes. for, for a, a number of infractions that are uh, simply unwarranted. However, and this is a big oh, however. No. Oh, no. However, you also have to understand that my childhood was irreparably damaged by the organization, and it's simply going to take me a while to expunge the bile and misery and hatred and darkness from my soul. What is a while? uh, What is this, 2021? Yes. So I would say by 2050. Yes. if, 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 If the Yankees don't win anything... It's significant until 2050. Yes. But at, at, in 2050, I will be a, a very calm and angelic person <laughs> who has no animosity at all towards New York or its fans. And so listen, and what, but this is an admission. This is a, this is a straight up admission. I, am, I'm, I don't like myself. When I am, when I feel this way, I, it's not fun for me, honestly. Even though I'm giggling like a goon, I don't like the way it, it impacts friendships that I have with people and relationships I have with people. I understand the hypocrisy involved in rooting for a a, a team with a two hundred million dollar payroll that is just as much of a a bully in MLB as the Yankees are or have ever been, really. So, all of your accusations are warranted, and they hit a nerve. Uh, it doesn't. It's not going to make me stop doing this. <laughs> no, it's, no, I'm not going to stop doing this. And I'm. And I just honestly, I'm saying I'm sorry. Like I'm. Gen- I'm, oh. I'm genuinely sorry that I have to do this. But like this is. The, I'm like what that that little rant that I just went on uh, at the beginning. Like that's like the that's the rant from like let's call it the '95 season. Right <laughs> now, now the '95 season is out of my soul, and I've I've. Uh, I've smoothed that over, but we still have to get through 96. We have to get through 98 to 2000. We have to get to 2001. We have to, we still haven't nearly dealt with 2003. (laughs) It's just going to take a while for me to get all of this bile and and unpleasantness out of my soul. And I am just, have just decided that I'm going to live in the absurd contradiction of rooting for a $200 million payroll bully team while criticizing and ascribing qualities to a different two hundred million dollar bully team that has nothing to do with my team. I, that's just and, where I am. And it's completely nothing unsuccessful. I can do. And is unsuccessful, or <laughs> at least less successful in the modern in the in the twenty first century than than my team is. So I'm sorry. I genuinely am sorry. I don't. I again, I don't like this quality about myself. <laughs> I, I don't. I, it doesn't feel good. It feels absurd and hypocritical and, and terrible. And you're bearing the brunt of it because you happen to be the Yankee fan who's right in front of me at this moment. 
All right, so here's my question for you, Mike. I, I've heard a rumor that you're you're writing a book about how to be a better person. Have is I this, mentioned that? True? I can't remember that. Whoa, I mentioned wait, that or wait, not. how have you not mentioned that on this podcast? I apologize. I should have mentioned this, Joe, to you before. Yes, I'm writing a book. It's called How to Be Perfect. It'll be at January 25th from Simon and okay. Schuster. How many chapters of How to Be Perfect are devoted to your just utter hypocrisy <laughs> on the issue of rooting for the terrible Boston Red Sox? Interestingly. None. <laughs> that that is interesting. <laughs> Isn't that interesting. <laughs> that is. I do. I do. Uh, there is one Yankee reference in the book where I'm talking about Aristotle and running through Aristotle's um, philosophy, and I assert uh, with very limited evidence that Aristotle actually wrote that the one area where there's a quality called mildness that is one of the virtues that Aristotle says we should seek, and it's it's basically being angry in the right amount toward the right people, toward people who deserve it at the right times. And I assert uh, that the one exception that he has is for the New York Yankees and their fans. And that, in that, he, I, I claim, he says it's okay to direct an, 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 out, uh, an outsized amount of anger toward them and, and also toward the Dallas Cowboys and their fans. And I mention in the book, don't try to look this up. It, you won't find it. It's in one of the very obscure texts that Aristotle, it's probably lost to history now, but he did say it. Well, Alan, I mean... If Aristotle said it, yeah, I, I mean that's a, that's. I mean, ancient I, Greek wisdom, point. I'm deeply skeptical about uh, the veracity of this claim regarding hmm. Mr. Aristotle. There. Interesting. Well, what? What? what com, coming from someone who roots for the Red Sox and at least at one point rooted for the New England Patriots. So <laughs> interesting. Well, now, now, why exactly would you? Uh, Doubt. What? Uh, Listen. Research. Wait a second. Wait a second. What have the What have the New England Patriots ever done that is unethical? Name one thing. Name one thing. I dare you. You can't. I can name seven things. I don't know that I could limit it to <laughs> just that, that was the technicality I was hoping for. That you can't name one because you would have to name between seven and twenty. <laughs> I actually don't know, Mike. What What is your? Because this it's it's a it's a slightly shifting. Uh, uh, thing. Well, what is your New England Patriot uh, fandom at this moment? Because you're also you have, it, football is a questionable fandom. So, oh so what, yeah, the entire sport is is. I mean, so is baseball. Look, that that that's this is part. There's a whole chapter in this book I wrote. I don't know if I mentioned this, but I wrote a book. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, <laughs> you wrote a book. <laughs> There's a whole chapter this is turning into like a bit from Memento now. Guys. <laughs> There's a whole chapter in the book that's about separating the art from the artist, right? It's about how do you, how do you deal with with uh, say movies that were directed by a director who you find morally abhorrent, and among those fandoms, obviously, is sports fandom. And I, I I won't I won't get into the argument that I make, but uh, it is probably the most frequent moral conundrum that people face right it's like it's it's because it's everywhere like right. it's actors and directors and sports teams and whatever and i don't talk about my own personal experience that much in that section at least as it relates to sports i talk about it as it relates to woody allen movies he is the example sure. that i chose that's why but i i will say that in in sports like with the specifically with the patriots the patriots are this interesting combination and this says more about the league than i think the team but there's this interesting combination of like they definitely did incredibly shady stuff they definitely did stuff that was broke the spirit and letter of the law and they also did a bunch of stuff that I that they got persecuted for that I think was kind of stupid and that they shouldn't have been. Yeah. And so you're in if you're a Patriots fan, you're in this weird position. Look, some Patriots fans are like, 
those men are saints. How dare you? <laughs> right. They did nothing wrong. Blah blah blah. Like those people have lost their minds, and they ju- they're ju- it's just blind fandom. It's the it's yeah. they they can't see uh, the forest for the trees, right? But there's this other weird middle ground where it's like, as Joe and I have talked about, Deflategate was incredibly stupid. That whole thing incredibly was so stupid. dumb. It was so ridiculous. It, it it was it is it, and that was a makeup call for the real thing that they did, which was videotape their opponents' uh, signals and study them, and then just and then Goodell destroying the tapes, right? So the, there's no one way to approach this. There's no like, oh, this is how you do this when you're when your team commits an infraction like this. And with the Patriots, it just became such a tonnage issue where there was like, God, one thing after the next that eventually I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take all these happy memories that I have of my favorite sports team winning all of these incredible games and having the greatest quarterback to ever play the game and the 20 years of joy that they gave me. And I'm going to just keep these warm, happy. It's a little like somebody that you love who was a flawed person like dying and thinking after that person dies, like this person was complicated They did a lot of good things that I remember fondly and a lot of bad things. And now that this person is dead, I'm going to just make my peace with the bad things and keep the memories of the good things and move on with my life. So I don't watch Patriots games anymore at all. Um, I I think I've watched a half of a Patriots game so far in whatever it is, six games. I don't really care. When they lose, I don't feel a lot of pain. When they win, I don't feel a lot of joy. And I sort of just like I'm sort of off. I'm not quite off the NFL entirely. I never have been. I it's a the drug is too powerful to it's give a powerful it up completely. Drug. Yeah. Um, but but it it's also when you think about baseball because why just a reminder why we're really here today is to talk about the Yankees. Yes. Um, and so with baseball you have it. There's an interesting thing where like you know the Red Sox and Alex Cora were separately and then together accused of various infractions involving sign stealing, right? Um, Cora was part of the team that the Astros team that banged on trash cans and stuff. And then there was a thing with Apple watches in Boston. And then as soon and then like all the Yankee fans that I know started getting all up in my business when that happened. And then almost immediately there was like, well, the Yankees were also accused <laughs> of sign stealing and Apple watches and monitors and whatever. And the, so what ends up happening is you realize like every, if you're looking for moral guidance from, from sports franchises, you are, uh, you're in for a rude awakening because none of these teams are particularly forthright. The Astros, not just with the sign stealing and the garbage cans, but a bunch of other stuff, that weird Cardinal scandal where the guy, that guy like <laughs> broke into the computer and is now in like a yeah. federal prison. Like you can't look for moral guidance in a sports franchise or you're going to be in uh, in big trouble. Well, Alan, what is your, what would you say your, let's, let's, let's break away from the Yankees for one second. What? Okay. I know. I know. And Thank you, Joe. Well, but I'm, all, I'm only going to talk about the Giants. It's not going to get any better for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, but no, but what is your like passion level for the Giants and the NFL now compared to when you were younger? Not, not that high. Not that high. Um, it, it's one of these things where, like, the franchise is so terribly run, and like, Mike, I'm sure doesn't want to hear this, but like that second Super Bowl that the Giants won against the Patriots is like the worst thing that could have possibly happened to the Giants as a franchise because it, it was like such a fluky year of a team that was kind of falling apart, and they, they won the, they won the game. But it convinced management and ownership that, like, the things they were doing that were not really working actually were. Yeah. 
And so, like, that's led to this last decade of just utter bumbling and ineptitude, you know, culminating in hiring Dave Gettleman, who thinks he's, like, managing a football team in the year 1982. Um and, like, by all accounts, John Mayer is probably going to fire him, but then try to replace him with someone else from within because he runs the team like a mom-and-pop shop. Yeah. So my team has been frustrating, and it's been obvious for years that they don't know what they're doing and they're not going to get out of it. So that has allowed me to sort of disentangle myself to a degree from football fandom and Giants fandom. And the fact that my son has not shown any interest whatsoever. Interesting. In spectator sports, he will watch basketball with me a little bit, and that's about it. Yeah. So that sort of has also made it easier because I would rather be with him than like sitting in my room yelling at like you know Joe Judge for being a dinosaur. <laughs> um, By the way, and a couple of, a couple of points I want to make on that to just to just yes. to extend. first of all, if I became a GM, if any of us became a GM like in the NFL. How tempting would it be to just run the team like it was 1982? Like the glory days of yep. general managers, right? Where you just like, like people say like, oh, why did you do this? Shut up. I don't have to tell you anything. I mean, just you get to be like completely uh, uh, separate. I'm going to sign four blocking fullbacks to the roster. Because we need to, we need to establish the run game. We need just to like establish a, the run. That, yeah. In interior defensive linemen who don't rush the passer, that is where it's at, gentlemen. <laughs> that would like be, he, I think he has a fetish for them at this point. I think, like I don't think it's just. I think that would be so fun. I and Dick in all sports, I think it would be fun to just be able to like you would never get this job, but if you ever got this job, ignore literally everything that's happened the last twenty five years and just like completely go on your own like, like in baseball just go ah what, what this team needs is a manager that kicks some butt you know and, and don't even worry about like you're like your general manager comes up to you and says hey listen the analytics say yeah shut up get out of here with your stupid just analytics. like have, like a running back that it, it, like his stats at the end of the game are like 38 carries for 101 yards right just and like you're like two 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 or three yards yep. at a time just like that would be fun that would be fun That's, as a that, weird I, experiment but it is not fun to root for no. when your team does that, guys. It really is not. Fair enough. It's really bad. You know, this brings so. up another interesting point, which is it is um, the the Red Sox had no business beating the Rays. We've talked about that already. Yes. Uh, the the Rays were a better team. They were they had better pitchers. They had better hitters. They have better. They play better defense. And yeah. it's a complete fluke. And I I I was I weirdly uh, I texted this to Joe and Brandon McCarthy when the Red Sox won. And I said, I feel genuinely bad for the Rays. Like the Rays had a $67 million payroll yep. and were a better team and they should have won. And if they had won, just imagine for a second that they had won and imagine for a second that the Brewers hadn't just completely fallen apart offensively. Yeah. Um, th there was a, there was a scenario in which either Tampa Bay or like Tampa Bay could have potentially held three of the four major sports trophies at the Crazy. same time. And Milwaukee could have held two of them. Like Milwaukee or Tampa Bay was fighting for the moniker of Title Town <laughs> in That's America, right? <laughs> Tampa yeah. Bay and Milwaukee. And and it is interesting now, and I, I don't know whether this is a fluke or a trend, but it definitely feels like the traditional sports powerhouse cities are fading a little bit in favor of these in favor of a sort of ad hoc committee of of other cities that win titles now. Like, I mean, ultimately, like, look, you still have Los Angeles and Atlanta uh, and you still have Boston and, you know, you still have Houston. Like you, like the baseball right now, it's four pretty major cities, but 
you also have these cities that uh, have multiple sports franchises that are doing really well in their respective sports, like Tampa Bay and Milwaukee. Yep. I don't know. What do you? What do we think? It's like New York is nowhere close, frankly, to winning a title in it's any been, major sport. It's been disastrous for New York for a decade. I mean, yeah. it, which yeah. is you know, which is I mean, it's the Giants. 12, yeah, Twelve years for the Yankees. The Giants. The Giants Super Bowl win is the last time any New York team has won a championship, and it and it and haven't even come close. Chicago, um, really, other than the Cubs, that's that's been kind of a you know pretty much a disaster. There, the Bears have been. Didn't the Blackhawks win one year? Uh, I mean, they did, but I don't. I think it's been a while now. I mean, that the like hockey years are like dog years. Like you think, like <laughs> oh, remember when the, they, you know, Montreal just won? It's like yeah, thirty years ago. I mean, it's it, everything moves a lot faster in hockey. I think it's been a while since the Blackhawks won, and I think they've sort of that organization has kind of taken a pretty nasty turn. Um, but you look at that. I mean, like New York and Chicago, and 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 I mean that's pretty bad. And you're right. Like Tampa Bay is the weirdest one yeah. because like Tampa Bay is not a city, right? I mean, like, <laughs> no. like that's, that's, that's every so often I'll like I'll say that, and you know, and and people are like no, no. I mean, it's sort of St. Petersburg and sort of Tampa and and not really either one and so it's like they just named it Tampa Bay and everybody agreed to it and 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 you don't even know which you know town each team is in I mean it's it's really strange actually and their baseball team is incredible and incredible so few people go to the games that now the owner is talking about playing half their games in montreal because <laughs> their their stadium is is uh is terrible and it's their stadium it's, is like a is is like a it's like sometimes when your kids are toddlers you take them to birthday parties at like indoor play spaces where there's like you know there's like ball pits and they crawl that's like what their stadium is it's a yeah. giant toddler playhouse yes yes where, exactly. where like the hey guys just so you know if you hit the ball too high, it'll hit the roof, and then it's a double. Like it's a, that's, yes. that is an absurdity that that team plays in that stadium. And yeah. like I the, the again, but, they, but how much is it the stadium, and how much is it the market? It feels like both the Florida teams, like the Marlins, have a nice stadium, and still people don't go even in the years when they're good. Yeah, but I mean those those are two very very different markets: Florida and, and Tampa, St. Pete. Uh, yeah. Look, the Tampa St. Pete thing, a lot of it is the stadium, definitely. Not only is it a terrible stadium, not only is it a weird dome in Florida, which makes no sense, <laughs> but it's also like in a terrible location for like a lot of people to try to get to. And and uh, so that's a part of it. But also, it's like it's like baseball never took off there, ever. You know, I mean, like that team has been good for a long time now. I mean, they you know, they go back... I don't know if you remember this. They uh, they were in the World Series before the Yankees won their last uh, World Series. Um, oh, I remember. <laughs> I, I know you do. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they've been good for a long time, and 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 they're the, they're the best story in baseball, like every year, because I mean, what they're doing is utterly impossible. At the same time, though, let me let me throw this out to both of you because I think this is something I was I. You know, I was talking to a, a friend of mine the other day, and he was talking about how you know, how nobody cares about pitcher wins anymore, right? Like, and that's been a fight that we've had for a long time. Like, pitcher wins don't matter. It's not relevant. It sucks. Um, wait, wait, what? Wait, you would, <laughs> who would argue this? That's insane. Jack You, you got to win the game. You, you got to win the game, yes. Joe. It's all about winning the game. 
But here's the you point. You play to win the game. But Joe. here's the point he made, and I I thought this was really interesting and reminds me of the of uh, the Rays. He was like, "It's like you won the battle that pitcher wins don't matter, but you lost the war because now starting pitching doesn't matter. It's like it's like by because in the old days, at least what pitcher wins did do is you you starters went they they had to go five innings to even win the game and then you wanted them to go even longer to like truly get a win so that like your best pitchers had the most wins like that was a thing and now that's not a thing at all nobody cares I mean yesterday they just pulled uh Scherzer in the fourth inning because it's like of course they did I mean it's like he he thrown enough pitches and that was that nobody even thinks about the five inning uh thing to get a win nobody cares about that and in some ways, I think the the Rays are doing the same thing. It's like they are doing exactly what they should be doing. All of these things, the shifting and the all of the advanced metrics and everything they're doing, the, the opener, all of this stuff, it's great for them. It's not good for baseball, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's it's kind of a no. weird thing. No, they. I mean, they've kind of broken the game. And there's also obviously, I mean, another thing that probably plays at least a little bit into the attendance is like anytime they get a player who's good, yeah. they trade them because like they can't afford to pay them. Yeah. So it becomes very hard to be loyal to that team for, you know, however many baseball fans are in the market. But no, it's, I mean, you guys have talked about this a lot. Like the things that, that a lot of teams and the Rays in particular have figured out to like maximize efficiency and analytics are great, and obviously if your sole goal is to win baseball games, you should be doing that. But aesthetically, it's terrible. A lot of it is just, it's less. It's a less fun game to watch. And I hate, like, l- watching a baseball game and listening to the announcers just bemoan the, you know, the ways that the game right. has changed, and it's less fun, but also the ways the game has changed is less fun. So Isn't it I'm a little hypocrite. bit on, because uh, I generally agree with this, but isn't it a little bit on us as the generation that experienced both the before times and the current times to just adjust and say like, well, yeah, this is like, they, they found a better way to play. Yeah. And so they're playing that way. And we're lamenting the loss of something that, for example, my jerk son will never really (laughs) know because he doesn't remember the days of Jack Morris going 10 innings against the, uh, in the World Series against the Braves. And so, and, and that doesn't mean that that wasn't sort of more fun or more interesting or something. It, it, it very well could be, but it's just what baseball has become now. And you also have to think that if there's a guy who, um, who could, like, look, Scherzer asked out of the game last night after four innings because he said his arm wasn't feeling great. Right. And he has looked a little off. Um, well, he's uh, pitching in, in, on two days rest every yeah, day. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mean, right, and, right. and he's been missing yeah. his spots. That relief, exp- the the relief uh, win against the Giants or save against the Giants. He was he. We were texting during that. It was like he was missing every spot. Yeah, like the, he was. He was not. It did not look like Max Scherzer. So th- maybe that's not a great data point. But the point is, is like generally speaking, that guy throws seven innings. Like when he pitches, when he's healthy, yeah, yeah. he does go six or seven innings. And if there are guys who were that good. That is, they'll let them pitch. Like the, it's usually like, hey, this is the third time through the lineup, and the the teams hit three seventy eight against this guy third time through the lineup. So we're pulling him. Right. It's like, how can you? It, it's 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 it is true that it's sometimes you get these less um, less aesthetically pleasing versions of baseball, but we are also in an era where 
Yuli Gurriel won the batting title and hit seventh for the Astros. Right. So these lineups up and down are so good that you just can't, it's just not worth it to have a guy pitching on fumes, having thrown 85 pitches through five innings. Right. It's not worth it to have him pitch anymore. Right. I'm not, I'm not arguing any of that. All of that's true. And and by the way, I still love the game. You still love the game. I'm not, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is. Why do you hate baseball, Joe? (laughs) This is what all right. You know what? It's time to start talking Yankees again. All right. I want I want all of it shifted toward Allen. No. Um no, but but here's what I'm saying. In basketball, as a as an example, uh the Knicks, Allen's Knicks, which, you know, here we go. Allen's Knicks sort of figured out that they could beat people up and and win that way with really super low scoring games and yeah. really good defense and just very, very, very physical. And the NBA eventually, and this happened in the NHL too with the zone trap, eventually the NHL and the NBA said, no, this game sucks. This isn't good. This isn't a good sport. This this, this has happened in football repeatedly again yeah. and again and again, where every yeah. time the game starts shifting to be not enough offense, too many, too much, too much defense, too many injuries, whatever the case may be, they change the rules and yeah. make the game more aesthetically. It's for the fans. We all know that. Baseball doesn't do that. And they've when they have done it, it's been very ham-handed. They've done very, I think, very poor, uh, made very poor decisions when it comes to that kind of stuff. And, and so that's what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is not, you're right. Look, you can't tomorrow just say, okay, from here on in, you have to go seven innings if you're a starter. I don't care how badly you get beat up. Yeah. You can't do that, right? I mean, the game has shifted way too far over, and nobody's been trained for that, and 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 the game is completely shifted. But what I'm saying is they've kind of let it get away from them, I think. And, and there are many things in the game, not just the pitching thing, but also the three outcomes. Also, um, you know, I mean, Mike, you're a big fan, uh, I think, of getting rid of the shift, absolutely mm-hmm. getting rid of it, um, which I don't fully agree with, but I agree with why you want that done. You want more hits. You want more balls in play. We want more. When you, these days, watching these playoffs have been has been so instructive to me in the sense of you see a guy at second with nobody out, it doesn't matter. It's yeah. like, hey, the guy might hit a home run, but it's almost yeah. almost certainly not going to hit a single that's going to knock him in. You know, I mean, it's like that. I mean, it does happen. It, it did happen a little bit in the Braves game yesterday, but it doesn't happen much. And you see a guy on third with one out, and you're like, all you need is a sack fly. Eh, your odds you aren't that great. Don't, you don't get that sack fly. <laughs> you, don't, you, get a you don't get out. that sack fly. Yeah. So no balls in play. Uh, you know, having. Eight pitchers is absurd. It's 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 that's that's way too far. You I mean you just can't have games where you just have eight pitchers uh, pitching eight innings. I mean that's ridiculous. Um, and and baseball is just kind of sat back. And I think every sport would every sport if you just let the teams do anything they wanted to win, twisting you know not in a bad way, but but finding loopholes and twisting the rules to the, to their advantage. If you get there, you know, NBA games would be 67, 65. I mean, like that's where that's where we would be, I think. And 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 uh I think you have to 
I think baseball has to take a hand at some point in this game and and try to, again, it's never going to be like it was when we were watching. And, and the stuff when we were watching isn't, in so many ways, the game is so much better now. I mean, you brought up yeah. a great point the other day, Mike, that I had not thought about, which is outfielders don't miss throws anymore. No, it's wild. There, there is a, there is a, um, there is a, a play that ha- that used to happen all the time that never happens anymore, and it's basically a ball gets hit into the outfield and a guy's rounding third, and the outfielder throws the ball home, and the throw is so bad that the catcher has to run like thirty <laughs> feet up the first baseline, or like he jumps up and the ball sails fifty feet over his head and hits right. the backstop. That doesn't happen anymore. Every outfielder in the majors runs and picks up a ball, (laughs) spins like 195 (laughs) degrees and throws a 90 mile an hour perfect strike to the base like that where the infielder, whatever base he's throwing to, doesn't move an inch and the ball comes right to him. It's really amazing. The accuracy of outfield arms is off the charts. And so like everybody talks about how bad the base running is. I think it's. I think the base running is bad because they're not practicing base running anymore. Because yeah. either they're jogging to first base after a walk <laughs> or jogging home on a home run. But it's also true that like the first to third, like uh, run on a single to right field is now the idea is always make them make a perfect throw, and they're always making perfect throws. It's yeah. bananas. Like I, that has not been talked about nearly enough. I think is how good these guys have gotten at throwing from right field to third, from center field to home, like that, but like plays that used to be complete, like you don't even try it. Don't even bother. Just lob it into the cutoff guy. Those throws are being made and those guys are getting caught at home. And it's, yeah. it's wild. I, as you know, as you mentioned, I'm a fan of banning the shift or I'm a fan of setting up a rule that says basically two infielders on either side of second. Either base. side That's of right. Yeah. So that, that if, if that were to happen, there's a long-standing rumor that they're going to go to Universal DH next year in the yes. National League. That should help some, right? Because you take away a pitcher hitting 092 right. and replace him in theory with at least a professional hitter, right? Right. What other ways are there? How can we get like I have there's also been a in the playoffs, interestingly, a couple examples of left-handed hitters going the other way and beating the shift. It's yes. happened a number of times. It's been kind of like, fun to watch, actually. Yeah, like Verdugo and Devers have both done it a bunch of times for the Red happened Sox, and Schwarber did it. Yeah, yep. yeah. Have so, a couple times in the National League as well. Yeah. I kind of wonder, and and it's hard. And obviously, the playoffs are different. There's more pressure to just score a single run, and there's there's like the the stakes are higher for those individual moments. I don't know if that will translate to the average, you know, Blue Jays Mariners game in May or whatever, but. If left-handed hitters specifically started doing that more, that the shift might take care of itself. People might start yeah, saying, well, right. you know what I mean? So, But like, I, what I'm interested in is what other ways can you imagine that we could correct some of the stuff that we wish could be corrected? In well, baseball? you know, that's a big Theo Epstein uh, theory is that the shift will eventually work itself out. That mm-hmm. left-handed hitters that in the minor leagues now, they're teaching guys to go the other way more. And that when they get to the major leagues that they're going to, you know, and we have seen it. I was watching yesterday, even though Freddie Freeman struck out seven, what, six or seven straight times. It was horrible. All of the guys that you expect to watch slide into a a K streak like that. He's like last (laughs) on the list. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of shocking and he didn't look good on any of those at bats. It wasn't. No. None of them were long battles or anything. I mean, one of them, he went, swung three straight times and sat down. It was really strange. But, um, they don't shift Freddie Freeman. 
and yeah. because he started beating the shift. He just beat it. And if you beat the shift consistently, um, <clears throat> it'll go away. Yeah. It'll just go away. So, so I think that that is definitely uh, one thing. Look, there are numerous ways. The two that really interest me is one, uh, and this, this, you know, I think I don't like like inelegant solutions in baseball. And I think that's what they've been doing. Solutions that are like direct hits on what the problem is and you figure that's going to fix it. Okay, you know, we're with the, the strikes, you know, guys aren't hitting, we're going to make the strike zone smaller or something like that. I don't like those because those almost always not only don't work, they tend to take things way different. So I like the ones that are indirect. So there are two that are, to me, that are very interesting that I've heard about that haven't been experimented with. One is the, is the pitch clock. And you don't believe that the pitch clock could have that kind of impact um, on getting more balls in play. But if you've watched these playoffs as you have, man, guys are taking forever, especially forever. relievers. Forever. Forever. And you know they're pumping themselves up. They're they're only going to be in there for 12 pitches anyway. So each pitch has to, you know, is the end of the earth and you've got to like throw it as hard as you can during those, during those 12 pitches. Can't do it. You can't let them do that. And I love at least experimenting with a really short pitch clock. You know, that's one thing that, that uh, you know, they were doing out in California, the 15-second pitch clock. It completely changed the game. Completely what is, changed what the is game. the penalty in that scenario? Is it like a ball is called? It's a ball every time you, you... I think you get a warning and then it's a ball for every, every time you do it, which, you know, you could do it two or three times for a batter. You know, what they find is... You don't. The penalty doesn't matter anymore because at some point they stop doing it. They they know the pitch clock is there. It's like in in uh, in tennis where the the clock, the serve clock, is whatever twenty five right. seconds, and eventually they're going to take points away from you. But but it never gets there, right? Like they, right. they warn you, and then that, and then it's over. Um, and the second thing is is roster adjustments where people just don't have this many pitchers to work with. I mean, and right. I don't know exactly how you do it, but if you have to win with you, you only have a three pitcher bullpen or a four pitcher bullpen every game, and you know you could shift that around. It just changes the dynamic. There's just no know? way the players' union is going to allow that, though. You can't. They're, it's, they're but it's never horrible g- because they should. They, they should maybe should, but it, there's no way they're going to say like you. There's no way they're going to put a, any more limit on. They're trying to expand rosters. They want. I know, but I think they should expand guys. rosters on the offensive side and 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 right. bring back limit number of pitchers. Yeah. yeah, well, bring back pinch hitters and bring back defensive specialists and and you know we we are at a point now. I think we were talking about this on on uh on one of our uh chats you know the the old days where you would put in a defensive shortstop just for the ninth inning and yeah. you know the guy might the guy might hit 100 but you put him in anyway because you know pokey reese you're talking about pokey reese pokey reese exactly yeah. and i gotta tell you i mean this is no offense to uh to the defensive prowess of of uh of cory seager but uh you know Dodgers could have used a defensive replacement there in the ninth inning yesterday. He's usually very good defensively. He is good, but he's not. He's like these guys are like that ball, and it was he laid that ball was awful. But but he's a very good defensive shortstop in general. But he's not as good as like some of these defensive specialists. That's the only thing they do. Pokey Reese. They should have brought back Pokey Reese. Why didn't they bring Pokey Reese into that game? He's he's probably only Pokey Reese is the solution to all of baseball's problems. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But Alan, I mean. When you when you look at this, when you look at the game, do you have as much fun 
let's say you're not watching the Yankees. Do you have as yes. much fun watching baseball as you ever did? Not as much. I mean, again, part of it is just I'm not watching as much baseball in general because, you know, I'm I'm trying to be with my family and nobody else but me cares anymore. You know, the Kelsey Grammer came and, like, was serving beer at the Yankee Minor League affiliate that's not far from where I live. And I was so excited I went to the game just because it would be ridiculous to have Frazier Crane serve me a beer. <laughs> and, like, nobody wanted to go with me. So I just went by myself and I watched for a little bit. And there were Yankee prospects and it was... You know, but I only stayed maybe three innings, then I went home. So that's a real uh, collision of your two worlds, there, isn't it? <laughs> that is crazy. Yes. How was that? How was that Kelsey Grammer beer? It was. It was okay. I mean, I'm not really a beer drinker in general, but it see it seemed you know on the better end of beers, but I'm the wrong guy to ask. It was more just sort of a. I, <laughs> I was going for the stupid photo opportunity more than anything <laughs> else. Okay, wait, so. wait. We're not doing a draft today, but the podcast has recently joined the Lebertard and Friends uh, network over at Meadowlark Media. We're very excited about this. This is only our second uh, uh, or third. I don't know what when this is going to air. I think it's kind of our first. <laughs> it's kind of our first real podcast on Meadowlark Media. And one of the things that they love to do with the Lebertard and Friends uh, podcasting network is make top five lists. I would like you to make a list of the, okay. the five, your five best theoretical television actor serves you a beer at a sporting <laughs> event situation oh i love this yeah i love okay, well, this. i mean da- dancing is number one like dancing uh, well don't no tell us we're just no, wait, no, we're, on, we're gonna come gotta, to you okay we're gonna, we're fine, gonna, fine fine so okay so, so okay. five five combinations yeah. of of a famous television actor serving <clears throat> you something doesn't have to be a beer serving you something oh it doesn't have to be a beer no because it could be it could be, it could you be know, a hot like, dog it, it could be like dennis franz serving you nachos at a at a rangers game or whatever yeah, so, we want we want all three things, Alan. Yes. All right, we Television want the person, actor, item, what, okay. what they're location. serving you, and where, and yeah. where. Yeah, okay. okay we want uh, all three of those. All right, this is good. <laughs> so we now have a top okay. five list. So here we go. So in in reverse order, yes, this is Alan Seppenwall's ideal mix of being served a specific food item by a famous TV actor at a sporting event. Here we go. Okay, number five. Number five, I want JB Smoove as a like pre- as a pretzel vendor, just sort of roaming the aisles of the stadium, doing patter. You know, I got your pretzels here. Sure. Just banter. He's pre- he's perfect. No, wait, where, but, is okay. this, where is this? Where is this happening? Dodger Dodger Stadium, obviously. Dodger Stadium. Ah, gotcha. Okay. So uh, this, this way he can inter- he can interact with Larry at some point. <laughs> so it's so, a, it's <laughs> curb your enthusiasm era, JB Smoove. Yes, okay, correct. Gotcha. So it's not okay. it's not commercial JB Smoove. It's it's uh, yes. It's, okay. okay. All right, number four. Okay, number four. Um, if if we're gonna go by era, I'm gonna go with Saturday Night Live era Julie Louis Dreyfus working the fryer at. Um, wait, wait. I didn't know that era was a, was. A, we're now it's a time machine. Yes, also, now it's also it a time is. machine. That's yes. what Mike is saying. Yeah, it's, yes, it's, yeah, it's, it's uh, character from a, an actor who played a character in a, on a certain ah, show. Yeah, so, so okay. she, yeah, she she's working the fryer at let's say Fulton County Stadium. The point is, like, I just want. Like just putting that like big curly hair under a net, like the her hair as it looked in the eighties at that point. Yep. Trying to deal with like the chicken fingers and the fries in Atlanta and everything else. At yes. Old Fulton County Stadium. <laughs> yes. Because no, but also because JLD is like whatever she sets out to do, she is great at. So even with these limitations, I think she would she's, be fabulous. She's gonna make uh, chicken fingers in that fryer. That when you eat them, you're going to be like, "These are the best GD chicken fingers I've yes. ever had in my life." Yes, 
You, I agree. You are, and 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 it's it's going to top any chicken fingers ever to come out of Fulton, Fulton County, County Stadium, Stadium in Atlanta yes. in 1987. Okay. All right, number three. Okay, all right, number three. Um, Ian McShane in character <laughs> as Al Swearingen from Deadwood. Uh-huh. So I don't even know like what the stadiums were in the in the 19th century, but like let's say he's like playing in in Cincinnati. Okay. He's pouring you a beer and cursing you out in like some David Milch kind of dialogue for the red as legs. You're for trying the old to see Cincinnati, Cincinnati red, red legs. legs game. Exactly. <laughs> All right, number two. Okay, okay. Number two, uh, John Hamm is a cigarette vendor at Shea Stadium in the 1960s. That, what a great, what a great choice. What that a great is choice. So awesome. And and like he, you have an interaction with him where he says a bunch of cryptic stuff <laughs> that, but yes. it, like you feel something very dark stir in your soul and. But like he's like you weren't planning on buying cigarettes. He just he just like came by and talked to you for a second, and like suddenly you've bought like a carton of cigarettes from him. Yeah, yeah. He yes, just, he just, exactly. He just starts talking to you about how what family means, and and uh, and suddenly you're buying. You're like, watching a like, slideshow of his family <laughs> exactly, photos exactly. on a carousel. Family photos yeah. of kids, and suddenly you are desperate for an entire carton of Winston's. I mean, it's just like you yes. have to have it. No, absolutely. All right, and finally, number one, I spoiled it already, but it, there can be no other choice. It is Ted Danson serving you a beer at Fenway sometime in the 1980s or maybe early 1990s. How how much how much after his pitching career is this? Uh, well, it's long enough that he's he's sober, so it's okay that he's there serving you the beer. Okay. But he's still like telling you stories yes. about his pitching career, and depending on when in the eighties it is, it was either a good career curtailed by a drinking problem, or he was just a really bad pitcher. Because <laughs> as Cheers goes along, Sam Malone's career kind of evolves a little yeah. bit in terms uh, of. So I this like is you're, you're talking about, about. You're like eighty two, eighty three. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so he 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 he's been out of like coaches next to him. Uh, yes. by helping him pour beers and stuff with a rag over his shoulder. And it, he retired yeah. so like three years ago. And he's got a lot of fun stories about being on the road with Mike Torres. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> he's, he's out there looking at Jim Rice as his old teammate still. And, and, that, and the players, like the players, if the players happen to walk by, they're all calling out, hey, Mayday, hey, May, you know, like they, they yes. all, they, he's still friends with the team in that scenario. Yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. Like he's, it's the hottest spot in Fenway, frankly. I, I mean, like that. That's a like great that. list. That is a it's wonderful a, list. It's well a really done. good list. Anyone you want to add, Mike, you got to have one. Uh, no, I haven't, I haven't thought about it, but I, I don't think I could beat, Ted Danson serving me a beer at Fenway. Like how, what's, yeah. what's going to be better than that? That's really, that's really strong. I, I got to think yeah. that there are a couple others that would be, that would be up there. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, I, I think what we've realized here as we get close to wrapping this up is that the way for the path to redemption for a Yankee fan, such as Alan Sappenwall <laughs> is to lean into top five lists that combine television characters and sporting events and food. And so we'll have to, next time you come on, I mean, obviously as soon as this is over, you're banned for another year that goes without saying. What? Well, well, I, didn't do, no, I didn't do anything. No, no, look, I didn't do anything. And look, that is not for us to say. <laughs> That's I mean, this true. obviously That's true. This also, is... we'll have a holiday draft in a couple months, and Alan will. There's a, if he is banned, and we don't know if he is or not. Goodell will have to nope. weigh in. If he is banned, the ban will be lifted for the for the holiday draft. But undoubtedly, at the holiday draft, he will do something else that oh, yeah. leads to him being banned. Well, you'll again. you'll bait him into it, even if yeah. he doesn't want to. But <laughs> but either way, yeah. No, look. Here's the problem: is Goodell has already asked for this tape. 
Yeah. Right. So that's why we're warning you in advance. You that, have to hope he he pulls a, uh, he pulls a Patriots investigation and just breaks the tape <laughs> and throws it away before anybody can oh review it. I have one last uh, question for you, Alan, since we have you here. So, what was sort of your what was your takeaway, if you will, uh, from this season of Ted Lasso? I mean, you this is obviously uh, very much in the air. Uh, it just ended. Yeah. What what was sort of your takeaway? Great season, good season, okay season. What do you think? I like I liked it. I found I found it faltered a little bit in the last couple of episodes. It felt like there was a bunch of things I was giving them some leeway on earlier that I don't think they paid off all that well. But I I really liked it, and I sort of I appreciated the fact that they di- they could have just come back and done the exact same thing, and it's just everyone feels good, and Ted's doing banter, and they tried to go deeper and explore more of the characters, and I admire a show when it does that. Uh, and in some ways, I liked it more, um, even if I don't know that they necessarily stuck all the landings at the end there. But the other my other takeaway, and Joe, you will appreciate this, and Mike, you won't care, <laughs> is that journalists should not voluntarily give up sources. Yeah. yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Also, yeah. I don't know that I expected them to turn uh, Nate into Anakin Skywalker. Like that was kind of a shocking turn where at the end he basically became uh, the evil uh, emperor from uh, Star Wars. That that just seemed a little a little surprising to me. Mike, did you watch uh, Ted Lasso this, this season? Well, you've just spoiled like two episodes for me because uh, I'm, I'm two episodes behind. So. <laughs> But I, uh, yeah, I haven't I haven't finished watching it. But uh, they have been um, sort of indicating the entire season that Nate was on the way towards some kind of big uh, conflict with Ted and company. In his, yes. uh, he he has not been happy all year, and he's gone through his own version of sort of like bu- bucking up against the um, the ceiling that he felt was over his head. Although I I will also say that it's that surprised me a little only because. Ted literally took him. He was like to, like putting right. people's shoes into cubbies and stuff like that. And Ted made him like a coach. Yeah. And then one second later, he was like, "Why doesn't anyone respect me?" I was a little bit like, "Hey, man, just chill a little bit. Like, pay pay some dues at some did, point." Just happy to be there, man. <laughs> did not did not love that turn. I gotta yeah. say, did not um, love that turn. But um, all, all right, right. Uh, time for one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless thing. Sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael, no Diet Coke for Joe. The podcast woe. It's one last woe. Alan, you want to go first? You're our guest. Sure, yes. Um, so one of the things I missed a, a lot in the earlier stages of the pandemic was going to the barber to get my hair cut. I don't, you know, I'm losing my hair. I This is a, uh, an experience I will not be able to enjoy for that much longer. And so, like, losing a year and a half of the barbershop kind of stunk. Uh, but since I got vaccinated, um, I've been going and doing a little bit, a few more things. One of them is going to the barber. Um, very relaxing. But it's also always fraught for me because... I'm not good at small talk, and at the barbershop in particular, I really like just kind of sitting there, you know, letting them cut my hair, enjoying the sounds and all of that, and just relaxing and, you know, sort of half zoning out. And so I went to the barbershop yesterday, and 
Um, we were like third in line and my son got his haircut before me and my, bar my regular barber was sort of making small talk with everybody, including my son. And so there's a part of me thinking, uh Oh, like she's in a talkative mood today. She's going to want me to talk to her. And I sat down in the chair and she asked me, did I want the usual? I said, yes. And she said, okay. And we did not speak again yes. until she like took the cape off like yes. that is an artist right there. It's not that I'm like antisocial. She's great. I like her. She's very nice. I do not want to talk to my barber, and she has figured that out over the years. And so, even after all this time of me being away, that was very nice. Round of very applause. Nice. Round of applause for your barber. That is, yes. that is that is a good professional read on the on a situation, and I applaud her heartily. Well done. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Every time I go, I I I just I have a, there's a barber place. It's just a whatever it's a it's a sports clips or whatever uh that i just go into and just go and it's always somebody different and i always want to know how many questions they will ask before they figure out i don't want to talk <laughs> like you know it's like yeah like oh you guys planning anything this weekend nope is that it is that enough yeah. no it's or it's, you know and and uh and i also got my hair cut recently and uh it was two questions it was a two question which is great to that's me, the dream. If, it's a dream. If you can get through two questions, uh, that's that's awesome. My Mike, dream you, is my dream is that when when I enter a barber shop, I put a enormous piece of duct tape over my mouth, <laughs> and the barber sees that and then says, "Oh, okay," and then puts an enormous piece of duct tape over his or her mouth. Like that's that's my dream. Is that, that it, works? We, it, it's like we we that's recognize good. in each other that that this is we're going to make this literally impossible to to, to communicate in any way. That's it's my just not the place to talk. It's no. just not. Well, it's for just, some people it is, and more power to them. It's just yes. that that is not what I'm after in that particular interaction. I not want it to all. be a I want it to be six and a half minutes from beginning to end with with no, the only sound being clippers or scissors. That's right. Uh, yeah. That's right. All right, Mike, one last meaningless thing. So being a baseball fan at the level to which I'm a baseball fan means that I have a lot of very annoying and irritating and borderline indefensible opinions about baseball, the way it's discussed, talked about, written about, reported on, etc. One of them, for example, my friend Dave King and I decided uh, decades ago that the way that it should be referred to is RSBI because yeah. it's runs batted in, not yeah. RBIs, which is run, run batted ins. That doesn't yeah. make any sense. So just to be kind of jerks, whenever we're talking about baseball, we say, how many RSBI did he have last year or whatever, right? Yeah. And it's uh, annoying and nobody like, yeah, exactly. That uh, that reaction from Steppenwall is the correct reaction. <laughs> the yes, sort of mildly you. disgusted grunt groan, <laughs> like you're slightly sick to your stomach when you hear things like that. But I'm going to now say my most controversial and most groan worthy opinion about the way that people talk about baseball. Oh, here we go. Okay, so uh -oh. the other night I'm watching Dodgers... Uh, Braves and it's a one and two count and the pitcher threw a ball and the announcer said uh, he takes it outside and that evens the count at two and two. Yeah, that's not even. That is not even. <laughs> An even count is three and two or two and yeah. one or one and oh because it takes four balls and three strikes to have the outcome that you're discussing. And so an even count is not doesn't mean the numbers are even. That would only be the case if three balls were a walk. An even count is three and two, two and one, or one and oh. So yeah. what they should be saying, 
if a, if the first pitch of the at bat is a ball, they should say that evens the count at one and zero. Oh. Or if it's one and one and they throw a ball, they should say that evens the count at two and one. Now yeah. this will never happen. No, in part should. in part because uh, numerically it's difficult for people to wrap their heads around, and in other part because it's just so annoying that I'm even saying this. That even if you agree with me. You saying it out loud on a baseball broadcast would probably get you punched in the face. I understand that, but I'm right about this. Mathematically, I'm right about this. When the count is even, in my mind, not when the numbers are the same, but when it takes the same number of additional balls or strikes to either walk the guy or strike out. I, I, I have a question. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Okay. How can a human being pedantic enough to believe this mm-hmm. be this upset that I drafted Phil Connors in the Holiday movie <laughs> characters draft all these years ago? Because I'm about rules. That's the thing. I'm. A, this is. This is. These are rules. These are laws. They're immutable. They're mathematically accurate. And you choosing Phil Connors was technically speaking a rule, but you were flaunting the rule. I'm not flaunting the rule when I say things like this. You were flaunting the you were You were getting away with something. I'm not trying to get away with anything. You were getting away with something by stretching. You were a lawyer who found a loophole. I'm not looking for <laughs> loopholes. I'm looking for accuracy. Oh, my God. All right. Would you... Well, you know, it's... I'm sorry. No, no. Would you be okay if somebody said... Oh, that's outside for a ball, and that numerically evens the count. Sure, go ahead, make my day. Just <laughs> nobody, nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. But one person I, wants that. I understand one. that nobody wants it. That's what I'm telling you. I get it. Like I get how annoying I am. I totally get it. But I'm yeah. also right. But no. I'm also right. Oh my god, you're not right. You're you're totally completely not right at all. No, not even slightly. All right. Uh, my one last meaningless thing is is I hope a gift to to people because we are about to get toward the World Series. We're closing in on the World Series, and that means well, and all throughout October, uh, we are going to see the Bobby Thompson home run again and again and again. The Bobby Thompson famous 1951 home run that beat the uh, Dodgers, where uh, Russ Hodges screams, "The Giants win the pennant! The Giants win the pennant!" over and over again, and you will get to see that and. What I want you to do is next time you see that, don't look at the batter and don't look at the pitcher. Instead, look at the first base coach in that game. I don't know who it is, but I noticed this not that long ago when I was watching it. He hits the home run. The first base coach goes absolutely bonkers. goes absolutely. (laughs) It's like you can just hear him screaming like, yippee! Like he starts jumping up and down like a maniac and like with his hands raised and he's going crazy. And now every time I see that, and and by the way, you can just go to YouTube and watch it. um, It's the greatest thing ever. Like that is now taken over like it used to be, okay, the home run and how important it was, or it could have been Russ Hodges's, Russ, Russ Hodges' great call or whatever you want it to be. But it is definitely the first base coach losing his mind when that home run goes out all right hot tip now i the first <laughs> thing good. i'm gonna do is go watch this i've seen it a million times i've never i guarantee you i've me, never me looked neither. at the first I'm, base I'm coach. exactly nobody does up. why would you ever look at the first base coach but the guy goes absolutely bonkers it's so fun all right so there you go my little tip i look the other way i was going to go was the uh, dot matrix printer that they have at uh, at um 
uh, rental car places and how stupid those are. But <laughs> I think this is, I, I, I think this is better. I it's think nice this is to better. keep it on theme with baseball. I think a little bit October. of baseball. Yeah. You know, we're we're doing this now for Metal Arc, and you just kind of got to be like, a little more professional about things. Little, we're trying. Yes. By the way, Alan, have you noticed a little bit of like a, a little boost in our professionalism on this now that we're with Metal Arc? Not in the slightest. <laughs> Good. Thank God. <laughs> Woo, that was close. <laughs> I got to say, by the way, thank you for, for having me on to yell at me. Uh, it's my birthday tomorrow, so this oh. is a great way to sort of kick off the celebration. Uh, happy thank birthday. You. Thank you. Thank you. And the thing that we do every year on my birthday is I get to pick the family movie because I don't usually get to do that. Last year we did The Fugitive, and you know what we are going to do tomorrow? Midnight Run, baby. No, <laughs> no? not yet. Not yet. It's like... A, it's uh, that's a hard R. We got to wait a little while. All longer, right, but, no, okay. no, I definitely know what it is. I definitely know. It's definitely what, what are we? It's definitely uh, um, Groundhog uh, Day. Groundhog Day. Yeah. Yes, I was. So. It was to me. It was going to be between Groundhog Day and Empire of the Sun. <laughs> I knew it was going to be one of those two. <laughs> so okay, good. I, one. I thought it was going to be Damn Yankees. <laughs> Nope, nope, nope. I don't. We we don't tolerate slander against the Yankees yeah, in this household, yeah, even if imagine. I'm the only one who cares. So this is gonna be the first. By the way, have you shown uh, your family um, uh, Field of Dreams? Have they seen Field of Dreams? Yes. They. The thing is, they like sports movies. Mm. They just don't like sports. Oh, okay. So like you know, we've done Field of Dreams. We've done Breaking Away. No. Like the Rookie. Excellent. You know, all Hoosiers. sorts of things. Have you done Hoosiers? Who I don't we haven't done Hoosiers yet. I thought about that for the the birthday movie this year. Maybe next year. It's just Norm is kind of such a jerk for so long that I feel like I feel like maybe they would just lose patience with he me. He really is. I mean, that, I I think that's an actually an underestimated part of the movie is how long Norm is a jerk. Yes. But it's so most like of I think, and it's, yeah, yeah. And if you're a kid, like we tried watching Drumline recently, which is a very like nice. I always think of it as a nice movie, but there's so much sort of hazing that goes on yeah, yeah, as yeah. the kids are learning about the drums. That at a certain point, my son's like, "I'm not enjoying this. Let's go do something else." Okay. So, well, Phil Connors kind of a jerk for quite a bit of the movie, but he's funny. I think that's the, <laughs> that will be the key difference. But maybe you're right. Maybe the next no, time I'm unbanned, I will report back and they hate it. Yeah, all right. They're not going to hate it. They're going to love it. Everybody loves that movie. All right, Alan. Yes. Thank you so much for allowing us to scream at you. You are <sighs> you are back in the uh, uh good graces. For now. And, uh, for now. We'll, we'll I, I don't I don't know why I even make the effort. <laughs> this is what it's going to be like when I come back. Frankly. <laughs> Maybe next time I'm banned, I will just like thank Commissioner Goodell and go on my way. I don't think you will. I mean, you've you've got all those lawyers who have been working on getting you back here. I mean, this is you know this is just one of those cases when it's a lifelong dream. Sometimes when the dream actually comes and happens, it it doesn't live up to your expectations. The, the, it's perks, no good. the perks of being a regular podcast guest are too great. You're never giving them up. <laughs> well, you're I'm never right. gi- you're never giving you. up the the social capital and status that comes with being a regular. Not to mention the, the hard cash that that's we pay. right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the briefcase <laughs> of cash that gets guys. delivered to your door. <laughs> yes. Rolling in it right now. All right. By the way, Mike, you and I have a big announcement about... Uh, Alan, did you know that the podcast is about to become a charitable uh, adventure? Did you know that? I did, and that's a really great thing that you guys are doing. I'm very excited for it. It is yes. very exciting. So we are about to make some, some cool announcements uh, about uh, where we're going with the charity, which we will do with a special guest. All right, Alan, you're the greatest. Mike, as always. Thank you for having me, Joe. Okay, so we told you we were going to have a, a little bit of a special announcement and a special guest with us. Mike, pretty cool. Very exciting. Very uh, exciting. Oh, it's exciting. So 
So we have been uh, telling you a little bit about the fact that in, in order to dig out of the moral uh, hole that we have built by doing this stupid podcast for so long, <laughs> um, we are going to start. Uh, we are going to start giving money away. We're going to start giving everything that we make from the podcast uh, to charity, but we're going to do it in kind of a think a cool way uh, where every month we are going to announce a new charity and we are going to uh, donate uh, that month's, I don't know who's paying us for this, but the, <laughs> whatever a small amount we might make off of this thing, we're going to donate that to uh, to that uh, to that cause. And we're going to, um, at the same time, uh, ask you if you would like to be a part of this thing. So very excited uh, to announce our first, what do we call it? The first charitable uh, organization uh, first, is that what uh, first how about charitable partner organization our first podcast charitable partner <laughs> i love that is uh, a place very very dear to uh, both mike and i my heart uh we are going to be donating to the negro leagues baseball museum in kansas city and with us we have the president uh of the negro leagues baseball museum and uh, one of my closest friends and brothers uh Bob Kendrick, Bob, welcome. Ray, what's up, guys? It's great to be with you all. And, and, and let me start by saying thank you. Uh, I really appreciate you all looking at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum uh, as one of those charitable partners. <laughs> and, and so, you know, anytime <laughs> that I can become a charitable partner, yeah. that brings a smile to my <laughs> face. So needless to say, I am ecstatic and thank you both. Let me just say this. Let me just say this. The first when I when I did my first book uh, with with Bob and and Buck O'Neill, Solar Baseball, uh, I said I was going to donate a portion of that to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And I did my first event at the museum. Bob was not president yet. A guy named Don Motley, who is a delight uh, and, a, and a and a total character, was the president at the time. And I did the I did my my thing, and Don sat in the back, and he was kind of half asleep. He wasn't paying attention. I couldn't blame him. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was like, all right, whatever. And then at the end, I said, and I'd like to announce that I am going to be donating $10,000 to the museum. And I've never seen anybody move that fast. And Don, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yes, the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum is an incredible place that everybody should visit. But they could use the money. We're 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 trying to do some good here. So that's right. Uh, so so we'll be we'll be donating whatever money we make from the podcast. We'll also have a link on our podcast page and on Joe's Substack probably, and we'll all tweet it out or do whatever I'm supposed to do uh, <laughs> to show uh, to to direct people to donate money. But I think we should start here by having Bob just explain. Uh, quickly, what the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum is, how it functions, where it is on Earth, how people can come visit it, and what its mission is. So take it away, Bob. Well, we're located in Kansas City, and the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum is the world's only museum dedicated to preserving and celebrating the rich history of African-American baseball and its profound impact on the social advancement of America. And Mike, quite frankly, man, I really think that it is that latter statement that grabs the hearts, the minds, the imaginations now of thousands of people who come to visit us each and every year. I think the work that we've done now over the last three decades, we started this project in 1990. 
And so the work that we've done over the last three decades, I think people come now to the museum expecting to meet some pretty good baseball players. And, and of course, you're not going to be disappointed. You're going to meet some of the greatest athletes to ever put on a baseball uniform. But honestly, guys, by the time you walk away from that experience, I think you truly walk away with a much richer, deeper appreciation for just how great this country really is, because this story really is America at her worst, but it's also America at her triumphant best. You won't let me play with you in the major leagues. Okay, I'll create my own league. And, and when you stop to think about that, that is the American way. And so while America tried to prevent them from sharing in the joys of her so-called national pastime, it was the American spirit that allowed them to persevere and prevail. And that's the story that we bring to light. It's a story that had toiled in anonymity for so long because it's not documented in the pages of American history books right. until this museum emerged. Yeah, right. And I think a lot of people, casual baseball fans or even some pretty hardcore baseball fans are familiar with what I would call the basics, right? You're familiar with the story of Jackie Robinson. You might be familiar with the story of Monty Irvin. You might Satchel be familiar Page, Satchel Page, sure. But what is what is uh, both true and 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 so worth understanding is that there were dozens and dozens, if not hundreds and hundreds of guys from all over the world, from Cuba, from the South, from Mississippi, Alabama, places like that, and from the North. There were leagues all over the place. There were barnstorming all-star teams. There were uh, collections of guys in random cities that you've never heard of or thought of. I'm wearing a hat currently of the Memphis Red Sox, Memphis Red Sox. which uh, which is a, a team that won the Negro Leagues World Series championship, which is sort of a, not even a really an official event, but they won it in, in the in the 30s. Uh, and as a Boston Red Sox fan. I was like, well, my team hadn't won since 1918. This team won in the 30s. I should be rooting for this team. But the, it, is, it is truly shocking when you start to read about this. Joe wrote about it in The Soul of Baseball. There's a number of other good books you can read about the history. It is an enormous tapestry. I mean, the Negro Leagues were happening all over the country. And the number of players who were, who, who were absolutely good enough to play in the majors and would have been better than almost everybody in the majors at any given time in the history of baseball. It's truly stunning. And you don't get to learn about that unless you go to the museum, unless you read about this stuff. I mean, the, how many, how many, how many it, like players, how many exhibits do you have in the museum that do you it's, think would, would blow people's minds if they saw I, I think the entire experience people away. Uh, most recently, we had the Houston Astros owner, Jim Crane, there. And I had talked to him about this museum. And, you know, I think they have an impression of what it's going to be like. And then when you walk in there, it is totally different than what you probably would have ever imagined. It is so powerful. It is so inspirational. And the exhibit itself is set up on a timeline of American history. And the centerpiece is what we call the field of legends. And that's where we hosted Joe's conversation when the soul of baseball was released. Right. And it, it features these amazing life-size statues of Negro League greats 
and they represent the first group of Negro Leaguers to be inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame. They're all cast in position as if they were playing a game. It's, a, it's an almost surreal experience because the only way that you can get to the field, you have to earn that right by learning their story. And so really by the time you've bared witness to everything that they had to endure to play this game, the very last thing that happens is then you get to take the field. But along that journey, the story is told through a wonderful collection of photographs, artifacts, great scriptive pieces, multimedia displays, lifestyle exhibits that help people understand the economic impact that the Negro Leagues had on Black businesses across this country. See, wherever you had successful Black baseball, you had thriving Black economies. And, and quite frankly, I'm not sure the African-American community realized my, what we were losing when we lost the Negro Leagues, because we honestly lost that spark, that catalyst that helped create economic development in African-American communities across this country. And, and so it's an amazing story. And, and we've been very fortunate to have these elements that help bring this story to life. And, and I think it just touches everyone when they come in and experience it. Well, just walking in, when you walk in, you know, Bob talks about the field of legends, you see the field. Like right away yeah. when you walk in, the first thing you see is the field, but you can't get to it because you were blocked by chicken wire representing yeah. that segregation that that and, and the chicken wire being particularly representative because that was what used to separate uh, uh, black fans uh, at, at different yeah. games. They would be separated by chicken wire. It really is an incredible experience. It's been amazing to see this little museum that no one, Mike, no one gave any chance of succeeding when we started this project in 1990. You know, we are as grassroots an institution as you will ever encounter. And then we were going to build it in an area that had once been very proud and prominent, but like a lot of urban areas, it had died, historic 18th and fine. And today, three decades later, recognized as America's national Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And so it's been an amazing journey for a little museum that, again, no one gave any chance of succeeding. But, you know, again, to see this museum rise and for people to realize the indelible contributions that these very courageous athletes who, again, forged a glorious history in the midst of an inglorious time in American history, they never cried about the social adversity. They went out and did something about it. And, and so they had no idea they were making history. They didn't care about making history. They just wanted to play ball. But the pride, the passion, the perseverance, the determination, and the courage that they demonstrated in the face of adversity. I remind our guests all the time, our story is not about the adversity but rather what they did to overcome the adversity. And that's the real story. And it comes across in triumphant fashion. And that's why I tell people all the time, this is not a sad, somber kind of story. Yeah, even though it's uh, against the backdrop of American segregation, the circumstances that led to a Negro Leagues are sad and sorrowful, but not the Negro Leagues themselves. That's why I talk about it being America at her finest, 
because that will and determination they had is just so steep in the American spirit. No question. No question. Well, couldn't be prouder to make our first chair podcast charity partner, the Negro leagues baseball museum in Kansas city. Obviously we encourage you to go. You should go if you're anywhere near Kansas city, as Bob says, it's, you'll have a great time. It's you will not walk away in any way. Sad. It's, it's just a, a joyous experience. Uh, and in the meantime, whatever dimes they're throwing our way to do this thing. We, <laughs> we are going to donate to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and we're going to encourage you to. I have one more thing to add, Bob, which is, so Joe and I were in Cooperstown uh, about a week ago. And oh, this is a good point. We got to meet, um, we got to go into the, into the archives and look around and you know see a bunch of really cool stuff that the museum doesn't have on display. And one of the things we saw was a bat that Ted Williams used when he was facing Satchel Paige. Uh, Page was facing was was playing for the St. Louis Browns, nineteen fifty one, and he struck Ted Williams out. And Ted Williams was so angry he smashed the bat. Uh, you know, Satchel Page at this point is we think forty seven is what we decided, or something <laughs> yeah, between yeah. forty six and forty eight. It's in fifty two, so that yeah, 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 which probably means he was about fifty seven. That's but right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He told people he was forty seven. He was really fifty seven. He's so Ted Williams smashes the bat. Then he goes and he gets Satchel Page to sign the bat because Ted Williams revered Satchel Page and, yes. and knew a lot about the Negro Leagues. He used his Hall of Fame speech absolutely to advocate for Negro Leagues players to be inducted into Cooperstown, all that sort of great stuff. So they've got this bat. And the thing that and, and Joe and I hold this bat and the thing that we think to ourselves, both individually, which we then con connected with was this is not a Ted Williams story. This is a Satchel Page story. Yeah. That's that 48 year old or 58 year old Satchel Page <laughs> struck out Ted Williams in 1951. And we both had the same thought, which is, hey, this bat belongs in the Negro Leagues Museum. This doesn't belong in the basement of Cooperstown. This should be in the Negro Leagues Museum. And, and, so, and, and that's a great point. Yeah. That is so, a great point. So I, I know that you have professional friendships and relationships with probably people in Cooperstown and in MLB, and you can't. Uh, jump up and down and yell and scream at them. <laughs> we so can. we're gonna, we're gonna. <laughs> all right, then do it. But we're gonna do it on your behalf, and we're officially launching a campaign, not just to have people donate to the museum, but specifically, I want that bat on 18th and Vine. I want that bat in Kansas City. So we're starting a campaign to get them to. And I, you know, the Major League Baseball has done some good stuff recently on the hundredth anniversary of the Negro Leagues. They announced that the Negro Leagues would be considered in terms of history and stats as a professional major league and all that sort of stuff. That's all great. But you know what, man, that's lip service. Get that bat <laughs> out of the basement of Cooperstown and donate it. Uh, it should be on display in, in Kansas city at the Negro leagues museum. So that's our cause that we're fighting for now. Right. I'll tell you what, I, I believe wholeheartedly that it should. And it just speaks volumes about Ted Williams and who Ted Williams was, Oh yeah, you know, his advocacy for Negro league players uh, he knew, had played with and against them. He knew that they could play. And as you mentioned, Mike, for him to use his platform in 1966 to stand there on his day, and people thought it was unusual Told for Ted to. to do this. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, they thought this was unusual for Ted because everybody just thought that Ted liked Ted. <laughs> and, and, and don't get me wrong, that Ted did like Ted, but Ted also understood that these guys could play. And what it reminds us is this. Great athletes appreciate other great yeah, athletes. Right. 
Mm-hmm. And the only way that you can measure how good you are is by competing with and against the very best. And Ted Williams knew that. And his advocacy, without question, is why Satchel Paige would become the first from the Negro Leagues to be inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame five years later. Yeah. I can tell you now, this doesn't happen if Ted Williams doesn't use that platform because Ted Williams was a star. Yeah, this, this wasn't your average guy standing up there saying, oh, they can play. No, no, <laughs> Ted Williams says they can play. Now people are taking a listen like, okay, these guys must be played. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Incredible. Well, Bob, this is the greatest. You're the greatest. Uh, hope people will check this out. We're going to get you that bat. We're just going to call. We're just gonna, one way or another, man. Yeah, we're, we're, getting, we're, gonna... we're getting you that bat. That bat's coming to Kansas city. If it come hell or high water, <laughs> we're going to get that thing. At least on loan. We got to get that thing to the museum. Uh, Bob, you're the greatest, please. Um, if you can, we'll we'll tell you how, but we'd love for you to join us in supporting the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Mike, what do you think? Uh, this is the uh, the the begin the dawn of a new era where the <laughs> podcast, instead of being a complete waste of everyone's time, uh, actually tries to do some some good in the world. <laughs> so thank you for letting us do this, Bob. Uh, good luck with everything, and uh, and please, if you're out there, look at. Check on the uh, on the on Joe's Substack or on my Twitter or on the actual page where the podcast is hosted to find a link to donate uh, directly if you have the means and opportunity to donate directly to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City. Well, it's a tremendous investment in a museum that I think is one of the gems of of this country, and, and so we encourage people to join you all in supporting this effort. And, and make sure that the legacy of the Negro League plays on forever. All right. On that note, thank you so much. Uh, we'll be back next week. Thank you for having me.